0: The scripture reading today comes from Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear it in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. This is God's word. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brittany. Good morning, Frontline. How are we? Good. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, It's great being with you. My name is Josh Curry. I serve as one of the pastors, and my job in our church is to love and serve all of our congregations. And one of the blessings of that is that I get to see all the crazy things God is doing in our metro. God's working in Frontline Shawnee and doing some really beautiful and deep things among students and young families. He's working in Frontline Edmond. We're seeing a ton of people meet Jesus and people being restored in the burbs. He's working in downtown OKC. That, that's that been a beautiful stretch down there to just see a lot of open doors for gospel ministry. And then he's working here. And I bring love and greetings from about 100 people that are about to plant a new frontline congregation in the city of Yukon. They're praying for you guys. And I hope you guys are praying for them. So. It's great to be here. I love you. I'm such a fan of what God's doing in this church. I love your pastors, and it's a great joy to just get to be here and open God's word and talk about the invitation of Jesus. So a couple of things before we dive into this. One, uh, we got a ton of people in the room that are new. We got a ton of people in the room that have not been in church for a long time, or this is your first time coming to church. And I just want you to know, man, like all the weird stuff that we're doing, weird singing, right? This is not stuff you do in other places, right? You don't show up with strangers and sing songs and confess sin and do all these strange things. Like all of these weird things that we're doing, one, you got a lot of invitation and time and space in this church to ask questions, to not feel like you got to know everything that's going on, to just sit and be here and be present with yourself, right? Like we invite you to do that. Um, The reason we do all these things is because these songs and these prayers and these sermons and these things called sacraments like baptism and the Lord's Supper, these are all things that remind us in the midst of our need, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, and in the midst of our sin, the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world is that there is a God who in love sent his son to pursue people that were far from him. And the common thread in all this stuff, man, is not that we're great people. It's not that Frontline Church is a great church. It's not that we've got three or four life hacks that you can use, or that we're going to make Andrew your life coach. The point of all this stuff, the very claim of Christianity, is that Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus gets the last word on sin and death. And because of Jesus, what that means is there's literally hope for every single one of us, and that's what we've been rehearsing today. And in the last few weeks in the life of our church, that's been the common thread. We're, we're talking about renewal, renewal. We're talking about dynamics of renewal, that people tend to go to spiritually dark and dry places. Am I the only one? Right? We as human beings tend to move away from God and away from the paths of life. And we end up being like these thirsty deserts that really need spiritual refreshment from the presence of God. And so for the last four, or five, six weeks, we've been talking about all of these dynamics of renewal. We've been talking about how the gospel itself is a renewal dynamic, that you enter into a relationship with God through His grace in His Son Jesus. And that begins the renovation of your heart. It begins the renovation of your life. We talked about how that gospel is not just the entryway into the Christian faith. It's also what you need to be reminded of on the daily so that you can be continually renewed. Amen? Amen? We've been talking about how the word of God is a dynamic of renewal. That this is not just a historical document. It's not just a dusty, dry history book. But this book is actually revelation which means when you read this book, God himself is speaking to you through these inspired words to renovate your heart, to stir your affections, and to help you run and resist sin that wants to destroy you. We've talked about how worship is a renewal dynamic, that we don't worship when we feel like it. That, that's not how it works. You can cheer for your favorite team if you feel like it. You cannot cheer if you don't. But Christian worship is not about that. Christian worship is not something you do when you feel like it. Christian worship is something you do to make a choice to call your soul to respond to the majesty and holiness and kindness that God's shown you in Jesus. We've been talking about prayer as a dynamic of renewal and community as a dynamic of renewal. And here's what I'm aware of and here's where we're going today. There's been a lot of you that are like, hey man, this is really great news for other people. This has been really great news to see my friends that I'm in community with experiencing some measure of renewed excitement about Jesus. I'm happy for them, but I feel like I'm getting left out. Like I'm watching the renewal train drive by me, and I'm not on that train. I'm in a dark place, or I'm in a dry place. I've talked to a lot of you, and as we've talked about renewal, you're like, hey man, Like I'm not even hungry for God. My, my best prayer right now is just like, Lord, would you make me hungry for you? For a lot of you, you're in really tough spots in your marriages, really tough spots in your jobs. You're in really desperate places. You feel like you're drowning and it's like, hey man, thanks Andrew. Thanks Josh for talking about all these renewal dynamics. But my life feels like the opposite of renewal right now. My life feels like chaos. It feels like the wheels are falling off the bus. Listen, Today is for you. Today is the word of Jesus to people in dark places that are sunken down in pits and you don't even know how to get out of it. You don't even know how to seek renewal in the place that you're in. So I'm going to pray for you. Would you pray for me? And we're going to open up the 143rd Psalm, which is a prayer for renewal in a really dark place. Uh, Father, thank you for these men and women. I pray your blessing on them today. Lord, I pray that they would hear your invitation to not run from you in fear or in shame or in guilt, but to see the cross of Jesus for what it really is, that it's good news. I pray today that you would open up our hearts to receive from you. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us in your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and be our teacher and walk with us. We bless you. We trust you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Uh, So here's where I want to start today. When my wife and I planted Frontline Church in 2005, I was in my 20s. Uh, There should be a law against planting churches in your 20s, but there's not, and we felt called to do it, so we did. And uh, we planted Frontline Church, and here was the passion of my life at that point. I just wanted to see the darkness of OKC get pushed back. Like, I just wanted to see the darkness of lostness get pushed back, People that had heard a lot of man-centered religion, like you have to get to God, you have to clean yourself up, you have to earn God's favor. I just wanted the good news of historic, actual, real Christianity to confront the darkness of dead religion so that people that had heard something other than the good news of God's grace could receive God's kindness in Christ for them. I wanted the darkness of poverty in OKC to get pushed back. Uh, It's funny, now our downtown congregation is like in this beautiful place with beautiful people doing beautiful things. And uh, that's actually not the place that we planted the church 14 or 15 years ago. We planted in the heart of the the city because it was the heart of need. We wanted to see people that were desperate, people that were addicts, people that were poor, people that were lonely get met with the grace of Jesus. We wanted to see the darkness of injustice in our city get pushed back. Like, Jesus hates racism. He hates it. We wanted to see the darkness of racial inequality get pushed back and people from different backgrounds get reconciled in Jesus and love each other. We wanted to see all kinds of other darknesses in the city get pushed back. And I, I want to be really clear, like, we're still passionate about all of that. We want the light of Jesus to meet dark places in our city so that that darkness is dispelled with the beauty of Christ. Amen? We love that. And the church is called Frontline Church. This church is called Frontline Church to remind us that Christians are not to hide from dark places. We're to go following our master into dark places with the salty brightness of Jesus. But here's the deal. The older I get, the more I realize it's not just the darkness out there that needs the light of Jesus. It's also the darkness in here. See, There's external darkness in the world that needs the light of Jesus. But man, you and me brought our own measure of darkness into this room. We brought desperation. We brought loneliness. We brought sin. We brought despair into this room. And the light of Jesus is not just the missional light of the church militant that goes to dark places with the good news of the gospel. The light of Jesus is also his power to form us and to meet us even as his disciples who go through dark times in dark places who need his mercy. See, I kind of wish, if I could just be honest, I kind of wish Jesus picked a cooler metaphor for his disciples Right? Like if you were starting a movement and you needed to call your followers something, you could probably come up with a really cool animal. I would pick like bald eagle. That's a cool animal. Maybe like a panther. Like my disciples are gonna be like panthers. They're gonna be sneaking in the dark, carrying antelope. Grizzly bears are cool. You ever seen a grizzly bear? They're awesome. They can run thirty five miles an hour, they can eat people. Um Great white shark, that would be at the top of my list. Apex predator, leaping out of the water, devouring seals. That's amazing. But what metaphor does Jesus pick for his disciples? Sheep. It, it's not a cool metaphor. No, nobody's like, what are we going to call our high school football team? The sheep. Sheep are not scary. Sheep don't have claws. Sheep don't have sharp teeth. And, and bad news, Sheep are dumb. Can I get an amen? Amen. Sheep are constantly, they're constantly wandering into pits. And the Bible's really honest that the journey of discipleship, wherever you're at on that journey, whether you're at the very beginning and you're trying to figure out, do you believe in Jesus? Is the gospel good news? Or whether you've been following Jesus for decades and you're still praying and yearning for the day where faith is sight. Along the road of discipleship, the Bible's really honest. There are a lot of pits, and sheep fall into pits all the time. Sometimes the pit we fall into is a pit we just dig ourselves, right? We can dig the pit through spiritual apathy. Instead of pursuing Jesus, we can become apathetic about our spiritual vibrancy and health. We can neglect God's means of grace, his word and community and church and Table. Sometimes we dig a pit through willful disobedience. I know the word sin is not popular, but like the word sin is really important because it describes the ways in which we go against God's good and perfect will for our lives. That He wants flourishing for us, and we think that we can create flourishing apart from God. Sometimes we dig the pit through this word that the Bible uses called idolatry, which is like, a really weird word if you live in sort of a secular context like ours, but it's a really great word because idolatry is describing the kind of sin that's not just doing bad things. It's not just killing people. Sin is also taking really good things like our jobs and our marriages and our kids and our talents, gifts of God and elevating those things to the most important thing in our life and asking those things to satisfy us and name us. So here's the point. Like, Sometimes sheep just dig pits that they fall into themselves. And there's a lot of us in the room today, that's where we are. But sometimes it's not a pit that you dug. Sometimes sheep get shoved into pits. David's really honest that there are enemies that want to devour you. Like, listen, there are dark spiritual forces at work that want to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. Sometimes it's not just dark spiritual forces. Sometimes people betray you, like, amen. Sometimes you think you know somebody and you love somebody and you trust somebody and they turn out to be predatory, they take from you. Sometimes your enemies shove you into a pit. And honestly, sometimes you fall into a pit, not because it's your fault and not because you have an enemy that shoved you there. Sometimes you fall into a pit just because of human weakness and frailty. Like, I want to be really honest today. Some of us are in a pit right now in this room, and it's not your fault. Nobody chooses depression. Nobody's like, hey man, I want to be really sad and not enjoy life. Yet nonetheless, because of our bodies and the weakness of our human frailty, some of us are in really deep pits of depression. And you just want to feel good again. You want to enjoy life again. You want to enjoy your friends again. You want to enjoy your job again. Some of us are in pits because of anxiety. That's not your fault. Nobody's like, hey, I'm going to choose a life of panic attacks, right? Sometimes the pit that we fall into is the pit of sickness. Like as a church, we believe that God is powerful and can heal and often heals. We pray for sick people and sometimes we see miracles in our church and sometimes God doesn't answer those prayers. Sometimes it's a really dark place when you wake up every single morning and you're like, hey, you know what today has in store? Chronic pain. It's hard to know how to seek God when you're hurting and how to pursue renewal when the diagnosis that the doctor gave you is one that no human being can fix. And I want to be really honest, sometimes the pit that we go into as sheep is just a dark place that your father loves you enough to take you into to teach you to trust him when you don't feel him. And so how do you seek renewal when you're in one of those places? What do you do if that's where you are? And, And by the way, just as one of your pastors, none of our pastors in this church are praying that you fall into a pit, just for the record. I hope you're not there today. I hope you came in here today and you're excited about Jesus and you want to break out your tambourine, you want to blow the shofar, wave the hanky, swing the prayer flag. If that's where you're at today, praise be to God. But listen, along the road of discipleship, all of us are going to end up in dark places. And what happens in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, is God's honesty about those places. The book of Psalms has been described as the prayer book of the church. And the book of Psalms does this really beautiful thing in beautiful times of life and in dark times of life. This book helps put words into the mouths of God's people to know how to pray and know how to sing and know how to seek renewal when we're in dark places. The book of Psalms and this psalm that we're going to read today, the 143rd Psalm in particular, this is really good news. This is the news that you're actually not crazy because you're having a hard time. You're actually not crazy as a disciple of Jesus because you've fallen. You're actually not crazy because you've gone through times of doubt and unbelief. You're actually not crazy because you have enemies that want to devour you. The 143rd Psalm is David, the Psalmist of Israel in a dark place, seeking renewal and helping you and me do the same. So, Together with me, if you'd open your Bibles, the 143rd Psalm, before we dive into this, two things he makes clear up front. The first is that the pit is real and the pit is painful. The pit is real and the pit is painful. This is not being a drama king or a drama queen. This is not being the high school kid that has no problems in their life and still wants to listen to old Cure albums and wear all black and act sad. The pit is real and when you fall into the pit, it sucks, it's painful and it's dark. Here's what David says in verses three and four For the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. He starts with the language of a beatdown. He says, The enemy has crushed my soul to the ground. This is not the language of your best life now, Christian victory all the time. This is the language of now your face is in the dirt and you're bleeding and you don't know how to get up. David describes this dark place as being in darkness like those long dead. Here's what he's saying. Um, David knows what it's like to be really in love with God in a passionate, affection-shaping way. He's the one that when he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant back into Israel, which was a symbol of God's presence, he's the one that was so passionate about the glory of God, he danced until his clothes fell off. He's in the streets as the king, in his tidy whities dancing before God. He's so excited about the things of God, his own wife is ashamed of him. David knows what it feels like to be madly in love with God in a passionate way. And now he's writing this song and he's like, hey man, you know what it feels like right now? It feels like I'm in the darkness of death. I don't feel God. I don't desire God. I'm not excited about the things of God. And then David says something crazy about the state of his heart. He says his heart within him is appalled. That's really intense language. To be appalled is to be horrified or to be dismayed. Here's what he's saying, man. I'm in a really desperate place. And I want you to look at me and I want you to hear me say this. If you're in a place like that, if you're in a place where you feel crushed, you don't feel like there's a way out, you feel like you're sitting in darkness, your heart within you is appalled, that does not disqualify you from receiving the grace of God or participating in the people of God. That doesn't mean that you're somehow outside of those that God can help and that, those can, that God can meet. This is David that the Bible described as a, God, as a man after God's own heart who is in a pit that's real and painful. In addition, he makes it clear at the beginning that the pit's also desperate. It's painful, but it's also desperate. Look at verse seven. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord, exclamation point. My spirit fails, exclamation point. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those that go down to the pit. Hey, listen is it even okay to talk to God like that? Like, this is not a pretty prayer. This is not a cute prayer. This is not a Mardell plaque prayer that you're going to put up at a nice Christian coffee shop. Like this is David saying to God with intensity and with urgency, Hey, where are you? Because if you don't move, I'm dead. I need you. Where are you? Will you help me? Will you come to my aid? And listen, listen, Here here are the two temptations that David's fighting against in the pit. The first is to think that if you feel sad or distant from God or buried in your sin, or if you're lacking the assurance of God's salvation in this moment, because you feel like that, you're somehow outside of God's grace and you can't come to him until you feel like a Christian is supposed to feel what david says is hey man i'm not going to bring god a pr version of myself that looks better than how i'm really doing i'm going to be just brutally honest with god i'm going to use these exclamation points and i'm going to be real with him and say hey you already know me like all of my religious prayers that i could pray to you you're going to know that they're all fakes so what i'm going to do is in need and desperation tell you that i long for you i need you to meet me and if you don't i'm sunk Like, what you don't need when you're in a pit is to give religious platitudes to God or other people. Like, how are you doing? Uh, Blessed and highly favored of the Lord to be a blessing unto others. It's like, man, like, maybe, maybe, maybe not, man. Maybe you're banged up and you're struggling and what you need is to pray some prayers with some exclamation points. Maybe you need to be more honest with God. And then what David turns to, and this is so helpful, I want you to just hear these words. This is an invitation if you're in a pit to seek renewal. David does five things. He does five things. One, first he comes back to the foundation of grace. He comes back to the foundation of grace. Look at verses one and two. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Hey, look look at this, because this is the heartbeat of all of Christianity, and this is the first thing you've got to come back to in a dark place. Here's what David says, and it's really fascinating. He says, listen, no one is righteous before you. Here's what that means. David's saying, God, your holiness is so far above me Your perfection is so complete. There is no shadow in you. There is no evil in you. There's no pride or lust or envy in you. You're not a God that's sort of prone to outbursts of sin. You are perfect. You're, You're holy. You're other. And if you were to drag any human being into your court, the best human being into your court, they would be found guilty and they would be doomed in your court of law. And yet will you please come meet me in your righteousness? How do you pray that? Because if you don't stack up to God's standards and you're asking God to meet you in his righteousness, isn't that going to go poorly for you? But here's what David's doing. Listen, David, like all of those people that were laying hold of God's promises in the Old Testament by faith, David is looking ahead to a day where God is going to keep his word and he's going to do something to grant the gift of righteousness to his people. Here's what you gotta get. When you're in the pit, man-centered religion is gonna tell you not only is the pit your fault, but you've gotta figure out the way out of the pit. You gotta clean yourself up, you gotta do better, you gotta work harder, you gotta try harder, it's your fault and it's up to you. If it is, be, if it is to be, it is up to me. God helps those that help themselves so get yourself out of the pit. But listen, don't get out of the pit too soon because you've got to pay penance for all the bad stuff you've done. And the problem with that, listen, the problem with that is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus himself is the only one that's ever lived that was righteous by the Father's standards and yet he also is the one that went into the court of law to be condemned in your place and in mine. So listen, here's where you got to start in the pit. Jesus, for your redemption and mine, entered into the pit for you. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, was so crushed in the emotional pit that he said, pray with me, for my soul is troubled to the point of death. Jesus, on the cross, was so physically crushed that Isaiah described him as one that we would turn our eyes away from, he became a horror physically. Jesus entered into the darkest pit of all the wrath of God, where the Father and the Son worked together for our redemption by Jesus taking all of our sin on Himself. Our pride, our arrogance, our worshiping of things that aren't God, our sexual sins, our violence, our racism, all of it gets counted as Jesus. He gets judged in our place. And listen, the father turns his back on the son and Jesus in that moment experienced full spiritual death on the cross. And Jesus is the one that fully tasted of death for three days. And what that means, listen, is that the beginning of seeking renewal in the pit is to fight against this idea that you're in the pit because God doesn't see you or love you or care about you or hear you and to come back to the foundation that wherever you are, if your faith is in Jesus, here's what you gotta know. The Father's face is towards you. And if you dug the pit on your own through your disobedience and sin, certainly he may be disciplining you, but if he's disciplining you, he's doing it out of love as a child that he's for that nothing can separate you from the love of God. So listen, track with me. Like the first step in the pit is to come back to grace. You're not there because God's abandoned you. You're not there because he doesn't hear you. You're not there because he doesn't love you. If your faith is in Jesus, he loves you with the affection he loves his son, Jesus, with. Secondly, in the pit, David not only comes back to the foundation of grace, But he cultivates trust by remembering the mighty works of God. Look at verse 5. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. So here's what he's doing. In the pit, all you can see is your pain. And you start to wonder, can you trust God? So David does something that's just sort of spiritual warfare slash spiritual formation 101. David starts rehearsing all the ways that God is trustworthy and all the ways that God's come through for David in his own story and in the story of God's people. What is trustworthiness, right? Like, if you trust a friend, it's because what they say and what they do line up more often than not, correct? Correct. When you don't trust somebody, it's because what they say and what they do are not congruent. They don't work together. And so here's what David's doing. He's looking back and saying, oh, man, I remember when you chose me when I was this young punk, writing songs and shepherding sheep, and I deserve none of your grace, and you loved me. I remember when you rescued me from the bear, from the lion, from Goliath. I remember not only my own story where you saved me from the hand of Saul and the armies of God or the armies of Israel, I remember the way that you kept your word to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I remember you raising up Moses to rescue your kids from slavery. Here's what David's doing. I remember all the ways, God, that you have never broken your promises yet. You always do what you say you're going to do. And as he rehearses the works of God, he's cultivating trust in a dark place when he can't feel God. Here's the way I like to think of this. like um, I, I love the ocean. I'm just an ocean dude. I love scuba diving. I love spearfishing. I love freediving. I love being way out in the ocean. If I can't see land, I'm probably happier than I am on land. Uh, and, and this last summer, I got a buddy who's a professional sailor, and he's been restoring this boat that was just left to rot in a field. It's a 40 foot boat. That's 41 years old. He restored this boat, which made me feel like there's hope for me. Cause I too am 41 and might still be useful. And, uh, so my, my buddy like fixes up this boat and he called me and my son to be on his crew, to do the sea test, to make sure that this boat is working, that all the systems are great. So we get in this boat in North Carolina And we sailed out offshore 85 miles into the Gulf Stream. This is an overnight sail. We got to the furthest point of our sail. And all of a sudden, what were going to be little bitty thunderstorms that weren't supposed to meet up, all met. And all of a sudden, man, you couldn't see the moon. You couldn't see the stars. The wind's blowing. Lightning is striking all around the boat. The boat's pitching so much. Elijah got thrown from a cot he was sleeping in. He got catapulted like all six foot four of him. Got thrown to the other side of the boat. And the crazy thing about that, listen, is that that part of North Carolina is called the Graveyard of the Atlantic because there's so many shipwrecks. Because the water there goes from really deep to really shallow. There's these shoals. And for hundreds of years, boats have been wrecking on these shoals. So you've got to chart your course to get back to port really carefully. And you've got to find the channel between the shoals and you got to get it right. But listen, how do you find the channel When it's black outside and you can see nothing and you keep looking at the wind and the waves, well, here's what we had to do. At the helm of the boat, there was a compass and we had to keep the heading of the boat between the shoals. And every time we started getting distracted by the wind and the waves and the lightning, we would look around and then you'd look back and you'd be off course and you'd be heading for shipwreck on the shoals. My point in telling you that, listen, is rehearsing the faithfulness of God is the way you set your compass heading to avoid shipwrecking your faith in the pit. You remember, man, like he's kept his word to me. I don't know where he is right now and I don't know what he's doing right now, but he kept his word to Israel. He kept his word to Isaac. He kept his word to all of the people of God throughout all time. And ultimately the greatest pledge of his word is that he came and took on flesh and died for me, which means I gotta keep my compass heading on God's faithfulness. I can trust him. You can trust God when you get cancer. You can trust God when your marriage is really bad. You can trust God when you don't know how you're gonna pay your bills. You can trust God because his word and his deed lines up completely. And if you don't rehearse the way he's come through again and again to do what he said he would do, then you're gonna get off course and you're gonna forget his faithfulness. David, David comes back to grace. David remembers the faithfulness of God thirdly and quickly. David also pursues his greatest need in the pit. He remembers what he needs more than anything. Look what he says in verse six. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. I don't know what's going on with David in the 143rd Psalm, but here's what I know. Every time you and me get in a pit, there's a lot of circumstances that would make that pit a lot easier. Sometimes more money would make it easier. Sometimes just getting healed would make it easier. Sometimes people just being nicer to you or your spouse and you getting along better would make it easier. And listen, all of those circumstantial changes are fine things. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things or praying for those things. But here's what David does. His greatest need in a dark place... Is not a tweak in his circumstances. His greatest need in a dark place is to know the presence and person of God like dry land needs water. And I get, man, I get that there's things that can make life easier, I get that there's things that would make life more fun. But this whole series on renewal, every week, no matter what we've been talking about, the common thread of scripture is that the thing you need more than anything else, even more than healing, even more than more money, even more than a better marriage, the thing you need more than anything else is to know God and to be with God. He is your highest good. I don't know if you guys have ever hung out in the desert. I I think the desert's a fun place to camp. And the thing about the desert that's crazy is you can live way longer without food than what you think, right? I mean, I feel like I'm going to die if I miss lunch. Like, but actually, you can, you can go a long time without food, man. You can go a long time without food. You can go a really long time without the comforts of life in the desert. If you don't get water, you're going to die within about three days, and that's what David's saying. He's saying, I'm stretching out my hands to you, not a better life, not an easier life. I need you because I'm like parched land and you're like rain. What you need in the pit is God. Two more things really quickly. Fourthly, he pursues godliness even in the pit. Look at verse 10. Teach me to do your will. You are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David knows because he's done this before with Bathsheba. In dark places, we're all tempted to take a vacation from Jesus. David was depressed as the king. We know that because the text tells us that in the time that kings go to war, David was at home sleeping on his couch in the afternoon. That's a depressed person. And David wakes up, gets off the couch, goes to the roof, sees a beautiful woman bathing, abuses his power, commits horrific sin, murder, Sexual sin, David took a vacation from faithfulness. And now he's an older man, and listen, he's in a really painful place, an equally, if not more painful place. But his prayers change. Here's what he's saying Hey, God, in the midst of this crucible, in the midst of this furnace where I can't feel you and it's not fun. And I don't have those sort of tangible reminders of your love that I long for and miss. In this place, would you help me to grow in godliness? Would you help me to be led by your spirit and to do your will? Here's the thing. You actually don't grow in depth and maturity and Christlikeness very often when everything's going awesome. You just don't, man. I wish you did. I totally wish you did. For my own sake. Not not only because I love you guys. I just wish it was easier. But when the sun's shining and everything's great and you're feeling the presence of God and you're like stoked to go to church and you're not dealing with addiction and you're not dealing with depression and following Jesus is leading you to places you want to go, it's like, of course I signed up for this. It's awesome. But when you don't feel God... And when following Jesus is going to cost you, and when what would really feel good would be to hold on to bitterness from the people that have hurt you in the pit, and to not forgive, or, or to take a vacation from Jesus to porn, or to overeating, or to drinking too much, or whatever your escape from Jesus of choice is, to stand in the dark place and say, hey, you know what? This is an opportunity to grow and mature and be deepened. What I want in this dark place is to be led by your spirit so that I can look more like Jesus. There's a lot of Christians in Oklahoma City that never grow to maturity because every time life gets hard, they bounce to the next place. And actually, when your marriage is hard, that's the moment where Christ wants to form you. Like, I know we think that marriage is supposed to be about unending romance and just sexual excitement 24-7. That's, that's kind of what I thought I was signing up for at 20 when I got married like, this will be awesome. And then you get married and you're like, oh, wow, this is hard. This is super hard. What is that? That's God wanting in the difficulty to deepen you and to mature you. You think, like, I hear this all the time. People are, like, new to Frontline. They're like, I love this church. It's the best church I've ever gone to. I'm like, oh, you just wait. You just wait, brother, because you're going to get mad. You're going to get salty with me, Andrew. You're going to meet somebody that's crazy. You're you're going to get disappointed. People are going to make you mad. We're going to fail you. And in that moment, that's the very second where there's an invitation to grow up. To let Christ be formed. To not just take your ball and go and perpetually be immature. It's in the pit where God wants to form us because he loves us. The last thing, which is such good news, David ends with this, and I love this. If you're in a dark place, man, hold on to this with both fists. David reminds himself that God gets the last word. God gets the last word. Look how he closes in verses 11 and 12. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, listen to what he says, you Will cut off my enemies. You will destroy the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Here's what David's saying because I'm yours, because you've rescued me and made me yours. I don't know when victory is coming from these adversaries of my soul. This might be a long drawn out fight, it may be a rescue that's coming tomorrow with miracles. But here's what I know. Whether I fight these enemies till my dying day or whether tomorrow morning I wake up and the sun is shining and the pit's gone and may enemies that are trying to destroy my soul have lost, here's what I know. Because I'm yours, you get the last word, not these enemies in the pit. You will overcome the enemies of my soul. So listen, here's what you gotta know. If your faith is in Jesus there are some battles that are going to last you your whole life. I remember in my twenties being a young pastor and there was this older guy who was like, I mean, he seems so old to me in my twenties. He does not seem that old to me now. He's like 65. I was like, Oh, he's so old. He's so wise. And he's like Gandalf. And now I'm
0: like,
1: he's a little older, but he ain't old. I remember saying to this guy, like, I can't wait to be your age. And he's like, why? I'm like, so, so lust won't be a temptation anymore. And he just laughed at me. He's like, hey, what makes you think I don't struggle with lust? He's like, I'm 65. I still have eyes. There's some battles you're going to fight till your dying day. There's some battles that God and you don't know when, it's just gonna give you victory over. Sometimes that miracle happens, that healing happens. Sometimes that besetting sin you had to fight all the time, all of a sudden that sin is dead, it's bleeding on the ground, and God shows you the next thing he wants to work into your life. But here's the thing you gotta know, if you belong to Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, there is no enemy of your soul that has the authority or the power to get the last word. Jesus in his resurrection life is the last word on your life. And even the last enemy, which is coming for all of us, which is death, even death itself in Jesus is going to die. So when you're dark, when you're in a dark place, man, like we got to come back, we got to come back to that good word. That's the point of Romans 8, right? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So today, listen, as we close this, Here's what you got to get. This 143rd Psalm, which is a, a prayer for renewal in a dark place, this is not David's private prayer journal. Like David didn't go to a retreat center and write this out and then hide it in his journal from everybody. David is opening up this dark place by even writing this and submitting it as a liturgist in, in Israel for the mutual edification of one another and for the help that he needs from the prayers of God's people. So if you're in a dark place today, me and Jesus' spirituality says, well, you go figure it out, and then you can come back to community when you've got that sorted. Biblical Christianity says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you need the presence of Jesus through a brother or a sister that'll just climb into that pit with you and just say, hey man, I'm just going to sit here with you, and I'm just going to pray with you. Man, you can't pray the 143rd Psalm right now for yourself. I can pray it for you. I'll pray it for you. I'll pray it over you. So if that's where you're at today, man, in any one of those kinds of pits, maybe you fully dug it. You've created a train wreck. Grace is sufficient for you. You can come home. The Father receives you. There's nothing you've done it's bigger than the cross, you can come back. Maybe you're in a pit because you're enemies, you're surrounded, you've been abandoned, you've been hurt, you've been abused. You can receive grace of Jesus today in the pit. Maybe it's depression, anxiety, sleeplessness, sickness. There's grace for you today.